our internet audience as they join us week after week. We've been broadcasting now for a long, long time. And it thrills our hearts to know that there are people out there, wherever there might be, who have ears and they have listening ears and they have moving hearts and they pray for this broadcast and we are thankful for the multitudes and I do not use that word lightly. We thank God for the multitudes every Sunday who join our church by internet and able not only here in the state of Texas but in countries all over the world hear the gospel about the same time you're hearing it uh, and we, God has opened that door for us. My wife and I, as always on Sunday morning, got in the car, put it in reverse, backed it out of the garage, and started out toward the little road that leads to our home. And I looked right, and I looked left. I didn't see anybody. We live in a suburb. We live in a community that has really been building up, building up for a long time. Houses on every street, but not one human being. And as time go to church, but not one human being. As we made our way down to Greenbrier Road, and usually during the week, Greenbrier has become a racetrack <laughs> because it's the best way to get from north to south in a hurry. One car, an old white pickup that looked like it should have been sold a long time ago. Put, 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 going down the road. I got in behind him and I thought, well, Praise the Lord, at least somebody's going to church. No, when he got to the intersection, he went the opposite way. Nobody was going to church. I don't know how that bothers you, but it sure does bother me. My lens. Our church moved into this building in 1999 and shortly afterwards I presented an orientation series of sermons on the New Testament church for I wanted our people to become grounded at that time in what a New Testament church really is and how and what the scripture has to say about it. Today we're living in 2023 Politically, in that period of time, generally speaking, church attendance is on the decrease. Thousands of churches are being affected by this. The government is trying to control churches and outlaw the term Christianity. If you can just abolish Christianity, you can abolish the church. 
Because of this, I feel we need to again visit the subject of the church. We have some people who have joined us since we first moved in. And we have some people still with us who've forgotten what it was like when we moved in. So we need to pay attention a little bit this morning and maybe for the next few Sundays to the subject of the New Testament church. If I were going to introduce it, I would just simply use that word, introducing the New Testament church. You'll get more out of these teaching sessions by following along and reading the Word of God. Bring your Bibles with you when you come to church. In the book of Acts, chapter number 2, verses 41 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved or such as were being saved. Now, this passage is taken out of a context of a sermon that was preached by one of the apostles. And that apostle's name was Simon Peter. It's amazing that for the early part of Simon's Christian experience, he ran his mouth all the time and didn't have anything to say. But finally, my dear friends, the Holy Spirit energized him and you'll find one of the greatest sermons in your Bible in Acts chapter number 2. If you will notice carefully, in verse 14 is where Simon begins this sermon. Notice, but Peter standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. Peter's going to preach now and he wants everybody that's listening to him to really listen intently. That's where he, he begins the sermon. In verse number 40... He ends the sermon. 
And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And then picking up with verse 41 through the end of that chapter tells us what the results of that message were. He preached and then something began to happen and that's what we just read about a moment ago. The greatest miracle that occurred on the day of Pentecost was not the disciples speaking in tongues but rather it was 3,000 people who came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. What a glorious event that was. Notice in verses 21 through 24, and also verse number 36, Simon Peter preached the gospel. Now, Mr. Spurgeon said you don't have much to preach if you don't preach the gospel. The Bible's all about the gospel. Look at verses 21 through 24. Peter's preaching and he says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that it, he should be holden of it. And in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And as he was finishing up that message, the Holy Spirit began to bring about conviction. Look at verse number 37. Now when they heard this, well, they were not very good Baptists. They'd been real good Baptists. They'd said, now where are we going to eat lunch today? I thought that preacher would never run down. He just talked and talked and talked. No, in verse number 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Now, there's one place you do not want to get a splinter. And that one place is your heart. You don't ever want to get a splinter in your heart because when that happens, all of you 100% thinking of your process goes to your heart. The Holy Spirit works on the heart. And people will never be saved until the Holy Spirit works on their heart. There's a, there's a term for that called regeneration. You must be born again. They were pricked in their hearts. I made a notation in my notes here. They were pricked in their hearts, not entertained. 
Something about what they heard made them very, very uncomfortable. And they began to feel very, very guilty. Notice 3,000 souls were saved and baptized in verse 41. Then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. My goodness, my goodness. Why, 3,000 people can be saved in a moment, in a second. But boy, you'd have a time baptizing 3,000, wouldn't you? And yet 3,000 of them followed the Lord in baptism. And also notice verse 47, all 3,000 were added to the church, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as were saved. It means that the church was already in existence because they were added to something that was previously there. They were added to something that was already there. That's very important. It'll help you know when the church was organized, when the first church started, and who started it. Thus we see that the church and Christianity go hand in hand. Church membership and evangelism are carefully linked together. All who were saved became members of the New Testament church. Thus we see that the church and Christianity go hand in hand. Church membership and evangelism are carefully linked together. All who were saved became members of the New Testament church. What is this into which they were introduced and inducted? They were introduced and inducted into the New Testament church. What is that? That is the subject for our studies. The subject is the New Testament church because it's found exclusively only in the New Testament. The church did not begin until the New Testament. There is no church to be found in your Bible in the Old Testament. It is a New Testament institution. And it comes from a little Greek word, ekklesia, and it's one you should become familiar with. If you were spelling it in English, you would use double C, but if you're spelling it in Greek, you use a double K, ek, ek, ekklesia. It is the Greek word translated church, church, and it means assembly. It means congregation. Theologically, it is the study of ecclesiology, and ecclesiology to me is one of the most interesting studies in the Bible, the most being the person and work of Christ, but 
I love to study ecclesiology. What is the church? What is the church? Let me give you a definition of the church, and I've been giving to you this definition probably for ever since we moved into this building, but when we started this church over 40 years ago. That a church is an assembly of voluntary baptized believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, assembled for the purpose of carrying out the commands of Christ. That is so important, and you've got some words in that definition that also are most important. Number one is the word assembly. A church is an assembly, an ecclesia, an assembly of baptized believers. Assembly. If it does not assemble, it is not a church. This is what the word means. There's no such thing as the invisible church. Had a fella, well, I had it. It's happened so many times because there are a lot of people out there that just are, they're, they're wacky. Said, oh, I belong to the church. I said, well, which one's that? He said, I belong to the invisible church. I said, that's wonderful. Who's your pastor? How many missionaries does your church send out? When does your church meet together and worship God? Where is it located? Give me something I can put my hand on. And they all look at me like, man, I struck oil and nobody's going to let me have what I struck. It is an assembly. Number two, it's voluntary. Baptism must be voluntary. It is an assembly of baptized believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is voluntary. Baptism must be voluntary. This rules out forced baptism or the baptism of infants. That is man-made, not God-given. A third word that's in this definition is baptized. It is an assembly of baptized. The word baptized comes from the Greek word, it's a transliteration, baptizo, from which we get our word baptized, and it means to Immerse, sprinkling and pouring do not qualify, ladies and gentlemen. These are not modes of baptism. There's only one, and that is submersion in water and coming up out of the water. And then there's the word believers. Church is an assembly of baptized, voluntary baptized believers. Faith is required to be baptized. Baptism comes after faith in Christ, not before. There may be a lot of people listening to my voice today who were baptized at a very young age, but later on they realized in their life that they never got anything at all at that ordinance, and they want to be baptized again. Well, they're not really baptized twice and never have been baptized because you got to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to be baptized. 
I was put under the water twice. I thought the first one was a baptism, but it wasn't a baptism at all. But when the Lord saved me, I told my pastor, I said, where's the water? I want to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. So it comes after faith in Christ, not before. I hope you can draw some applications from this this morning. And they are assembled to carry out the commands of Christ. That's the main purpose of the church, to carry out the commands of Christ. You say, well, I thought it was to glorify Christ. You glorify him when you carry out his commands. The church is not a place to park. It is a place to go to work for the Lord. The purpose of the church is to be found in the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. Having observed these remarks, let us step by step enter into this study. There is great ignorance and confusion about the New Testament church. My first lesson about the church My very first lesson about the church came from my Sunday school teacher when I was a junior in Sunday school. And the teacher said, if you really want to remember what the church is, she said, everybody put your hands together. And we did. And she folded them over, said, you got them folded over? She said, now, that's the church And here's the steeple. And open it up and there's the people. That was my first lesson on what the church was. There are current illustrations of this ignorance being promoted by the news media. They have no idea what they're talking about. The church is not the building I want you to listen to me. You may not agree with me, but I want you to listen to me. The church is not the building. Because of our church signs, such a concept has been born. The sign in front of the church is to give the name of the church, but the sign in front of the church is not saying the church is the building. It's the name of the building, the name that we bear, a name of identification. Our Church of Christ friends probably are a little bit closer to this than a lot of Baptists I've talked to because a a statement that the Church of Christ has used for years and years and years is that this is where the church meets This is where the church meets. But you get the idea sometimes that the sign indicates that the church you're about to go into, there's the church right there, see. We're going into the church. The church is not the television broadcast. It is not the Benny Hinn program. Now you know how old I am. It is not the Billy Graham crusade. It is not the PTL club and it's not the Shambach ministries. 
and the church is not Christianity. One can belong to the church and still be unsaved. Not only was Judas Iscariot a member of that first church, my dear friends, he was the treasurer of that first church. But he did not know the Lord. Being in a garage does not make you a car. And being in a church does not make you a Christian. So the church is not Christianity. Christ told us what he was going to do in Matthew chapter number 16. You care to turn to that and I hope you're just so anxious to. Matthew chapter 16. The Lord Jesus had raised a question. Whom do men say that I the son of man am? And the disciples began to answer him. And the Lord made this response in verse 18. I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. What's he going to build? Say it. The church. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I don't, really, I'm a lovable guy. I mean, I'm so lovable, my wife can't even put up with me sometimes, really and truly. But I want to preach truth to you. I want when you leave here to know he said the truth. He preached the truth. Jesus Christ did not Build the kingdom hall. Jehovah's Witnesses built the kingdom hall. He didn't say upon this rock, I will build my kingdom hall. He said upon this rock, I will build my church. Difference. He did not build a tabernacle. Moses built the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a type of Christ but the tabernacle was not Christ. And Christ did not come to build a tabernacle. He came to build a church. And yet there are some churches that use that term tabernacle. And I'm not going to voice with them one way or the other. We're not going to get into an argument there. <clears throat> you gonna be, are you all right with this? Yes. Doing okay? <laughs> It's a little cold in here to me. I told Brother Randy, I said, ask them if they're cold, we can cut the heat up. I noticed air conditioning was set no air conditioning when I got in here. Air conditioning, I was already cold. The Salvation Army is not what Jesus Christ established. Upon this rock, I will not build my army. Upon this rock, I'll build my ecclesia, my church. William Booth started the Salvation Army. Christ started a church. I'm not trying to be ugly at all. I'm trying to be firm with this delicate subject. Watch this one. He did not start the fellowship. He did not say upon this rock, I will build my fellowship. While it is true, you can have great and wonderful fellowship in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a difference in the church itself 
and the fellowship that we have in the church. Christ started a ecclesia. That's, that's the word. As a matter of fact, it's the first time the word is mentioned in the Bible. And if you are into hermeneutics, that is, if you are into interpretation of Scripture and where words come from, that means something to you. There are certain rules that govern what a verse means by how it is used and the word that is used in expressing it. The word for fellowship is koinonia. Koinonia. If I were a perfect Greek and I'm not, I could perfectly pronounce the word koinonia. That's a long haul from ecclesia, which is the word for church. A synagogue is not a church. He did not say, upon this rock I will build my synagogue. <laughs> it is the Greek word, synagogi, synagogi, synagogue. Christ started an ecclesia. It is not a denomination such as the Baptist, such as the Methodist, such as the Lutherans, such as the Catholics. Christ started an ecclesia, a church, an assembly. For 17 years I was a Southern Baptist and they finally got rid of me. Took 17 long years. Christ did not come to start a convention. Upon this rock I will not build my convention, such as the SBC, the BBF, the ABA, the BMA, and on and on and on and on. He came to start an ecclesia. He did not come to start a chapel. Some seem to be content with referring to their church as being a chapel. No, we're not a chapel. We're church. We're church. Christ started an ecclesia. If you can get that down really in your heart and in your brain and let it just kind of boil for a little while, it could make a difference in your whole outlook of your church. He came to start something that had not existed before. He started a church, a church, ecclesia, an assembly. Ecclesia is found a number of times. There's some discrepancy. Either some say it's 118 times, some say it's 115 times. Ecclesia, that word, ecclesia, is found 118 times in the King James Version of the New Testament. That's a lot of times, isn't it? But it is only used three different ways. One of three different ways. Not all three different ways, but one of three different ways. Number one, it sometimes refers to the assembly of Israel. If you notice, whenever Israel went out, they went out as a group. Whatever they did, talk about the wilderness wanderings. You know who was involved in the wilderness wanderings? A bunch of Jews. And they were an assembly of Jews. 
And some of those Jews died after 40 years of wilderness wanderings. But isn't it strange that the word that is used is the word ecclesia. I want you to turn to Acts chapter number 7, verse number 38. Acts chapter 7, verse 38, if you would please. Notice this is he that was in the church. Now that word church is translated from the Greek word ekklesia. Same word that Christ used when he said upon this rock I will build my ekklesia, my church. This is he that was in the church. You have to read the, almost the entire seventh chapter of Acts, which we will not do, but it has to do with a sermon that Stephen preached. And Stephen preached it because he had some folks that were listening to him as he preached. And the high priest, according to verse 1, the high priest said, Are these things so? Is he a real good preacher? Is he telling you the truth? And he gave Stephen an opportunity to defend himself, and he gave them the history of Israel. That's what the seventh chapter is all about. Notice in verse 36 of Acts chapter 7, Talking about Moses, Stephen said he brought them out after that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt, in the Red Sea, in the wilderness, and he did it for 40 years. This is that Moses which said to the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up like you, of your brethren like unto me, him shall you hear. But please notice verse 38. This is he that was in the church. There was no church in the Old Testament. Well, what's the problem? The problem comes when the translators saw that word ecclesia, they translated it church, and a better translation, and some of them are preacher brethren, they could shoot me right between the eyes when I say this, a better translation. Another translation would say, the assembly because that's what an ecclesia is. It is an assembly. Should have been translated assembly there. This is he that was in the assembly in the wilderness when the angel would spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. Now where am I? I said that ecclesia is found a number of times in the King James Version of the Bible but it's used only three ways. One way it is used was describing the history of Israel in the Old Testament. A second is what Christ said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Church, however, ecclesia is used there to show what kind of assembly it would be. It would not be any longer like a synagogue, like a synagogue. It's going to be the it's going to be so different that Jews wouldn't even recognize it apart from the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit. And then you have, thirdly, the way it is used, and this is so important, church, the assembly at Ephesus. Ephesus. Take a moment to turn to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter number 19, verse 32 Acts chapter number 19, verse number 32. Please listen. 
And if you're reading, pay a close attention. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. You will see it again in verse number 39. But if you inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. It is used a third time in verse 41, and when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. That word in the Greek is ekklesia, 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 from which most of the usages of that word will always be church or churches, however they use it here, to describe the town council. Why town council? Because Paul and his brothers had gotten into a lot of trouble preaching the resurrection of Christ and it was causing so much consternation in town that the town called for the city fathers to come together. They called for the town council to make a ruling on whether Paul could stay and preach or not. And it's called the ecclesia. Well, that's good translation. It was an assembly. You go into a courtroom, you go into an assembly. When the judge does what his job is and the attorneys do what their job is, it has to do with an assembly. That's what that was. It's used as an assembly of Israel, the assembly of Christ, and the assembly of the Ephesians. Ecclesia is translated church or churches. Whenever you see that word, it comes from the Greek word ecclesia, 112 times in the New Testament. About 96 times it clearly refers to a visible and local church. I would like to show you that. I want you to be convinced of that when you leave here. For instance, you read about the church at Jerusalem. You say, oh, that was an invisible church. I beg to differ with you. It was a local assembly. You talk about the church at Ephesus. It was a local group of people. You talk about the church at Corinth. Because of the generosity of this church, my wife and I had the privilege and had the love offering enough to get on an airplane and fly to Greece and I will never forget that trip as long as I live because I saw where Paul walked. I visited the very town and walked down the very street that Paul walked down when he preached to the Corinthians. And that was not an invisible thing. Everything was there. It could be touched. It was real. And the church that had been there was a local New Testament church. The church at Smyrna. What about the church at Laodicea? Lord said, I would that you're hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'll spew thee out of my mouth. He talked about a local body of believers there. Each church had a literal address. None of those churches had a post office box. You're welcome. 
You know, you can be invisible and have a post office box, but you can't be invisible and have an address. When you have an address, everybody knows who you are and where you are. Okay? We visited Corinth and all these other churches. The remaining times refers to the church in a generic or institutional sense. Excuse me. I really miss leaning on the pulpit <laughs> so very much. In Matthew 16, 18, Christ said, Upon this rock I will build my church. He used the word ecclesia, but he was not talking about one single church. He was talking about the institution of the church. He was talking about the generic picture of the church. You say, well, how do you know that? Because, my dear friends, he said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Some of the brothers say he was talking about the church at Jerusalem. It ain't there no more, ladies and gentlemen. It's gone. And so are a lot of the churches that you read about in your Bible. They're not there anymore. They're gone. He said, the church I'm building Hell shall not be able to overcome it or stop it. It's an institution. Like the institution of the home. The home is an institution. You say, well, the home got started and it's gone. No, the home is still an institution. The school is an institution. Doesn't mean all schools are teaching the wrong thing. It doesn't mean that there's dangerous to send your children to public school. You ought to teach private school. The school as a system still exists today. Both made up of visible and local homes and schools. Ecclesia is never used to mean a universal invisible church. You can't do it without twisting scripture. And I don't want to wear your shoes if I start twisting scripture. What the Greek word, give me about five minutes and I'll let you out for, for lunch. <laughs> and we'll come back at one and go for another three hours. What is the Greek word translated church or churches? It's ecclesia. Church is an ecclesia. What is an ecclesia? It's an assembly. It's a congregation. What is the meaning of the word? It is an assembly of called out ones. That word ecclesia is made up of two words, ek, E-K, meaning out from, and klesis, meaning called ones, called ones who've been called out. How is ecclesia used in the New Testament? Three times it is used, translated assembly, which we just completed presenting that part of it to you, the assembly of the Jews in the wilderness wanderings. They're described as the church being in the wilderness, not, not literally so because it didn't start till the New Testament. It wasn't in existence in the Old Testament. 
but the large number of times it is translated church or churches. Upon this rock I will build my church, ecclesia. How is ecclesia used as church in the New Testament? Out of the 115 times it is listed, 96 times clearly refers to a visible and local assembly. Let me speed up right now at this point because I just talked to you about Revelation, the first chapter, the second chapter, the third chapter. It says under the church of the Laodiceans, under the church of Pergamos, under the church of Thyatira, under the church of Ephesus, the seven churches in Asia Minor were several, seven literal, visible churches. They were churches. And this is how the word is used. However, 16 times it refers to the church generically or institutionally. As I stated in Matthew 16, 18, it goes beyond the local church as in Jerusalem because that church does not exist today. He was talking about he was starting something that would still be with us today, the institution of the church. And we still have a church today, ladies and gentlemen. Never is the term church used as a universal or an invisible body. What is the definition of the New Testament church? And let me conclude with that. It is an assembly of voluntary baptized believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who've assembled for the purpose of carrying out the commands of Christ. Literal, it's visible, and they've been baptized upon their profession of faith. You've been so kind to listen to me today, and I appreciate that. I'm glad you do. I do not want you to hear something and say, well, that sounded pretty good to me. Don't care how good it might sound, ladies and gentlemen. It's whether it's truth or not. Is it the word of God? Thank you for listening. Let's stand, please, for prayer.